Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On our latest episode, we've got a review of Ready Player One as we decide if it reaches a high score or it's game over for Spielberg's latest film. Plus, it's our picks for the Video Game Hall of Fame, and will Age of Ultron be the forgotten Avengers movie? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry, that quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. We are Back again. It is Friday. It is another great weekend coming up right here in the PCC multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford once again from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. How is everybody out there? We hope you're doing great and are going to have yourselves a fantastic Easter weekend. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without my good friend. He is the head honcho at Humanica Media. You got to check out all the great things they've got going on at humanicamedia.com. It is Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. Just uh, doing podcast stuff and stuff. And more stuff like that. Yes, that's a lot of stuff. Yes. Uh, I know you're also getting all that stuff going as far as the top lists, as far as that people have sent in. And we truly want to thank everybody out there for sending in all their top 10 video game lists. We are compiling it. I'm going to be tallying up the scores, and we're going to be going ahead and presenting that in the near future. Plus, also as well, you're going to be seeing a lot of stuff coming through our Pop Culture Cosmos site. So so be on the lookout for that as well through our Facebook and Twitter handles as far as Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source as well. It's going to be a great show. We've got Jay Bartlett standing by. He's going to share his thoughts on the upcoming solo movie. Also as well, we got Vince Atulo from That Sports Card Show. He is going to be talking to us about collectibles as far as the sporting card market and also a little bit about non-sports cards. We talked in our last episode about the popularity of certain cards and things of that nature, but wanted to get into a little bit more as far as non-sports cards, and if there's still a market on it, all that and more coming up with Vince Otulo from That Sports Card Show later in the broadcast. But Josh, you and I got a chance to see the latest film that's out that's storming the box office. is from Steven Spielberg, the acclaimed director that he is. His latest movie that's out is an adaptation from the popular book, 
that we've talked about on this show before that really just dives into pop culture headfirst. And that is Ready Player One based on a world of virtual reality and the Oasis. And, and both you and I have, have read the book and we've now seen the movie. There's spoilers for our discussion of Ready Player One from both the book and film standpoint. So here we go with our thoughts on Ready Player One. It was good. I wish they would have divided it into maybe like two movies because there was a lot in the book that got left out. And I see they, you know, I see some why they need to take some parts out, but the parts that they took out, it would have, I think it would have made the movie make more sense for the viewers. But, you know, it disappoints me a little bit too in the fact that the, this, the, a lot of the references made in the book that would appeal to someone like me and you, they, they took it out in exchange for uh, more well-known properties. But that, you know, that that's the thing. Like people aren't going to see the movie. I don't think because it has a reference to uh, spoiler alert, because it has a reference to the shining or has a reference to Minecraft or whatever in the movie, they're going to see it because, you know, it, it probably cause it's cool and they probably walk away with the same, however they feel about it in the end. But, um, no, it was good. I liked all the references the to you know Mobile Suit Gundam, Akira. They had Halo in there. There was Back to the Future, Street Fighter, Starsky and Hutch. I mean, it's everything from the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, and even today with Overwatch and more was represented in there as far as pop culture icons are concerned. Right, and they had Harley Quinn and Batman was even in a part. Batgirl was in there too. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that I miss. I just got to go back and I'll have to watch it again. It was good. It it entertained. It did what it was supposed to. They did a good job of kind of retelling the story, uh, retelling the book. I didn't really understand because the guy that wrote the book was one of the guys that wrote the screenplay. And he, you see, it doesn't make sense to me that he would take out some like big, big parts out of the book for the sake of, um, you know, moving the plot along in a film. But you know, it the, the changes didn't irk me, but I would have liked to see these things come to life. You know, the whole thing with him hacking into ioi and the in the in the movie they made it seem like he liked his aunt a lot more than he actually did and then um you know that that whole thing didn't really get explored and there's some like i would have liked to see the layer he had floating in space and the you know some of the deaths in the the oasis in the book they didn't really go into that and like you know the the big death in the book of one of the high five they didn't do that so exactly based out of japan when they when it actually happened in the book but also as well the fact that the undermining through IOI was done by a completely different individual in the movie than it was in the book. Exactly. Not complaining. I did like, I did enjoy the film. Uh, there's just a lot more I would have liked to see out of it. And as someone who, who read the book and is really impressed by the book, it's just, it's, it's a lot of stuff that would have better connected the pieces and a lot of like what could have made really cool set pieces. They just kind of left it out. I, I liked how they weaved, better together i guess the story of um wade and artemis and the oasis she is called artemis and pars of all yeah yeah i like how they kind of made that a little more fluent because it got a little awkward in the book you know there's just stuff from the book i would have liked to see a lot i did like the movie it felt very classic spielberg you know it had that 80s feel this was a good movie for him to make it had that had that classic feel of like et close encounters of the third kind i did really dig that a lot what did you think before I, I don't want to like blabber here? Well, I will say this, that if you have not read the book and want to go see the movie, you'll probably enjoy it a lot more than if you did read the book and then went to go see the movie. 
as we have noted, we've read the book first and then have gone to see the movie. I am going to give the movie a positive review. I think it is a very good movie as far in the sense of the special effects, as far as the design and, and all the intermixing of all these pop culture icons. There's a race sequence, and then there's also a battle sequence that just truly is just inspirational as far as if you're into film creation, as far as that's concerned. It's just absolutely gorgeous as far as the way it's orchestrated and actually is portrayed on screen. Also as well, the actual just first moments of you actually entering into the Oasis, even on a standard film format, that part is just truly amazing to see. I, I can't imagine how it's going to be on an IMAX or 3D. It's just That's just going to be like a blow-away part. But I was just watching on a standard deaf screen, and that still looked awesome as you first enter in it and all the things of that nature. So it's just truly was just a, a, that part of it was really inspirational, really just a lot of fun to look at. I am not a big fan of the, some of the parts that they took out as far as that as well. They, they changed a lot for creative narratives because they thought it would look better on screen. But uh, like I said, I'm going to give it a pretty good review based on the fact that when this movie shines as far as those inspirational battle sequences, those inspirational chase sequences and things of that nature, when, when it's in the Oasis, the movie itself really flows and really looks beautiful when it seems to really stall is when it leaves the actual oasis itself. Some of the the acting by the villains are really just substandard. And even uh, T.J. Miller, who uh, I guess his character is based off of someone in the book, it's not an add-in like one of the other villains. That's kind of disappointing as well because he always has to throw in a side remark that's really not that funny and doesn't really get over that well. That part was a little bit disappointing, but... Be that as it may, he wasn't really that important to the cause and was just kind of just obliterated and just left out of it and just disappeared really quickly. So, uh, you know, near the end. So it really didn't matter that much. Uh, Simon Pegg's character was really inconsequential, which was another issue I had of it because his character in the book is a lot more important to the actual flow of the story. And I think his inclusion in the, uh, in the movie was very minimal at best. And I, I think that should have been actually redone and reworked, but there are some things like that. I would, I would change around it. And I, I, like I said, if you're just going to the movie and you're, you have not read the book, you'll probably like it a lot more just because you want to see all those pop culture references. And that part of it is just absolutely just mind boggling. Cool. As far as seeing all those, that, those icons and that people have loved and it's for so many years. And I was going to tell my daughter that I saw this with is that it's just so, so awesome to see all those things that I've experienced throughout my life through the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and this decade that I've experienced all of those things. And just it's been truly heartwarming as far as from a sight and even a sound as far as the music is concerned as well. Yeah, the soundtrack was great. I love the classic 80s music. That was Anytime going. you add a new order, man, it's right there for you. <laughs> I would have liked to see a little more uh, classic gameplay. You know, we got the we got the Atari. I, I see that. What that's what gets me. I would have loved to see the Dungeons and Dragons thing take place, where, where they go into the uh, the dungeon. They got to play the the arcade cabinet. 
I would have loved that, to. Is that the, that's the third key, correct? As far oh, as that was the first key. The, the, the first key, yes. The first key went and went into the cave and, and with Artemis's character. And that's where they first really met between Artemis and Parthens of Vault. That's correct. The right. third one did also have a, a challenge of that name. Spoilers for the book, people, on this part. But yes, there's a challenge similar to that in the third key as well in the book. But yes, uh, that, like I said, they're, they're changed and modified for specific, I guess, visual movie reasons. But I, I really didn't mind that first key as far as the race is concerned, because really that was a really cool way to set things off. Yeah, the way to solve the puzzle was kind of like, yeah, it was just, it seemed too simple to me. Even if he like figured out there should have been some kind of challenge, you know, something trying to stop him from doing it. But Well, yeah, I agree with you not because in the book, these things take a lot of time to figure out. In fact, some of them were, you know, even between the first, the second key and the third key, there was still quite a bit of period of time between those moments as far as them, you know, figuring out where the next key is. And in the, in the movie, obviously to shorten it up for, for time considerations, they had to do something a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, my only other complaint about the movie was James in the book. They didn't really differentiate well between like, the fact that he was a nerd and reclusive, yes, but in the book he was kind of really this tragic character, and in the uh, in the movie they just painted him as like a stuttering, sad nerd, you know. Instead of really, there was more depth to him in the book than there was in the movie. They kind of missed a good storytelling element right there. I agree, and there's something very sad when you read the book as far as his story, and you try to follow it as well. And I think also Ben Mendelsohn's character in the book, as far as is much more in depth, the IOI leader, and is much more sinister and much more diabolical than he comes off as in the modern day movie version as well. Be that as me, and I'm not exactly thrilled with the, the Shining as far as that part of it is concerned. I. Spielberg is a horror movie director at heart. He loves putting horror movie stuff in there. And there he could not resist not only one, but two references as far as from a horror standpoint, he had to go ahead and utilize in, in his movie. And I'm not, and I'm not sure utilizing the shining in that method was probably the best thing. Though I would have chosen a different movie from the eighties. Personally, I would have sought out something else, but that's just me. Or did you like the shining reference? It confused me. I, you know, it was it was what it was. Um, it didn't weave together well because he goes in and they they like they didn't really make any references to the fact that he had developed a zombie type game where zombies are dancing around. They just kind of like, oh, we're gonna throw some dialogue in here and assume that people are okay with that. So it it didn't really weave together really well. Uh, there are a lot more pop. I'm sure there's a lot more popular like 80s films they could have used. The Shining was intense, and that's you know maybe that's that's cheap for some people but i know a lot of people haven't actually seen the shining like it's considered a classic movie but it's only considered classic by horror movie fans and people who are you know in that era like the people you know most of the people i went to see the movie with they had never seen the shining before they knew what it they know what it is but they've never watched it i would have actually chosen maybe like terminator or something like that as far as referencing that instead just the referencing of a horror movie in this in this aspect was was a point that I don't think was was very best served as far as it's concerned. But I, I will tell you, if you are a fan of pop culture, you're going to get nothing but that pretty much uh, the whole movie long. It's a love letter to pop culture in the highest. And uh, I'll tell you what, for us, 
it was truly the book and also as well, the movie proved to be very entertaining in both their own ways. So I do suggest, and, and obviously Josh does as well to go check out ready player one. If you have not read the book yet, go see the movie first, and then you can go back and read the book and just enjoy it for the pop culture love fest that it is. If you just want a movie that's a lot of fun to watch as far as it's Spielberg just seemingly having a good time with a lot of pop culture icons that he got permission to use from arcades, from music, from video, from television, from film, just all over the place – Check out Ready Player One. I'm sure you'll have a great time indeed. What are your thoughts on Ready Player One? Have you seen it? Are you planning to see it? Are you really looking forward to this pop culture love fest? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we've got a great episode coming up. We've got... Jay Bartlett from Nintendo Quest and Star Wars Echo 3 standing by as a true huge Star Wars fan that he is. What are his thoughts on the upcoming solo film? He's going to share his thoughts. Plus also as well, later in the broadcast, we're going to be talking to Vince Atulo from That Sports Card Show. He's going to be talking about, again, cards and and even non-sports cards. Is there still a market for it? And should you go into collecting it, he's going to be talking about that and more coming up later in the episode as well. And this is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind Star Wars Echo 3. You got to check out Star Wars Echo 3 today on Facebook because they do so many great things. He's also the star of Nintendo Quest, one of the best video game documentaries of the past 10 years. It's my good friend, Jay Bartlett. What's going on, man? It's a little movie that you and I both know that's coming out that's part of a great saga that you are so familiar with and that you love so dearly, the Star Wars saga, that Solo, a Star Wars story. That's coming out for us here in the States on Memorial Day weekend. A lot of big numbers are still up in the air as far as how well it's going to do because there's kind of mixed reactions on the trailer. Obviously, you know the problems on the set with the changeover in directors and a lot of reshoots that were involved. So I ask you, Jay, I'm excited for Solo. I really want to see it because Solo is my favorite character in the Star Wars universe. What are your thoughts on the Solo film? And what do you think they need to do to get it across to an entire, entire world of Star Wars fans that this movie really can be a big hit? I remember the first morning when the Rogue One trailer dropped and I woke up and, you know, I had a million messages and it was live. And I was like, wow, that's that's really cool. And put my phone down or whatever and did whatever. I didn't feel the need to watch it right away. I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong. But it didn't grab me. So this is the second movie where it's not part of the the episodes, right? It's not part of the saga that way. But I absolutely, uh, I, I loved the the teaser during the Super Bowl. And then the next day we got the full trailer. I think it looks incredible. And what excites me the most is that so far, you know, there's no talk about the Force, about the Jedi, about the Sith. 
like even Rogue One had that in there, right? But this is really smugglers, the underground, gambling. It's a side of Star Wars that I really want to see. To me, it reminds me a lot of Ant-Man because Ant-Man and Solo seem both like heist movies more than they did actual movies within that genre. So you could say where Ant-Man was a heist movie instead of possibly being a superhero movie, you could say the same thing for Solo. It it seems in many ways like a heist movie as opposed to a sci-fi thriller. Once again, I'm sure the whole synopsis is online. I have no interest in in reading that, but it kind of looks like they're gearing up towards the Castle Run or whatever, and that's the big focal point or one of the focal points in the movie. I'm really interested to see. At first, you know, I I said over the years, I don't know if that's a story that we need to be told. Uh, Han Solo, I think he got a pretty good idea that he's a pretty scummy guy. He's done some, you know, pretty shady things. And then he met Leia and kind of straightened out, right? Then he fell again and went back to his old ways. But I'm really interested to see. uh, Forgive me the actor's name. I can never remember. Who plays uh, Aiden Ironreich, I think, is the best way to say it, if I'm not, not too far off. I thought it was Alden something. Am I thinking of something else? No, I think it is. Yeah, I think you may be right. Alden or Aiden uh, I can't even remember his But I think he's great. I know, I know the, the biggest critique I've read and seen so far is that people are like, oh, well, he doesn't look like Harrison Ford. He doesn't sound like Harrison Ford. Well, of course he doesn't. Nobody's going to look and sound like Harrison Ford, right? I mean, I think you get the idea. You, you see him, and it, that's Han Solo. I think the weirdest part about this, get this, Jay, is that Ron Howard is directing, right? Yeah. Ron Howard is directing an individual to play at the age of someone who he starred in a movie with back in the 70s. That's right. That's crazy. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. That's really, really cool. What about you? I know. Okay. So I'm not, I'm going to hijack the interview here. You said that Han is, is your favorite character of all time, even above Luke. I'll, I'll forgive you for that one. That's okay. Um, <laughs> what were your initial thoughts with the full trailer now? Not the, not the teaser when you saw the full trailer. To me, I think it is the most enjoyable Star Wars trailer I have seen in some time. To me, it's like you said, I think probably the charm for me is that it is not seeing the same thing as far as the Force or Jedis or lightsabers or this or that, that we've seen all the time in the past few years. And even before that with the prequels, this is something that's different. I know Rogue One actually was, to me, was kind of cool in theory, as far as the trailer is concerned, because it was kind of different and off the beaten path in itself. But then as you and I both know, spoilers here for somebody who hasn't seen it, it actually intertwines itself within the Star Wars saga, making it less its own movie and just more part of the actual consortium, the whole timeline and the whole canon itself. Solo, yeah, it's still part of the canon, but to me it just seems like it's a a branching off into an entirely different format from Mm. long ago as we see these great stars like Lando Calrissian, Han Solo, Chewie, how they originated, how they came together, how they got to know each other, and how Woody Harrelson's character shapes Han Solo, if not the whole team, into becoming those those bunch of rogues that we've come to know and love. It, yeah, exactly. And from everything I've seen from the trailer, it doesn't look like the fate of the galaxy rests in Han Solo's hands, which, you know, even well, Rogue One did have that. It's really cool to see, like you said, another side of Star Wars. Now, you know, do we need to see the Darth Vader cameo? I certainly hope not. And looking back now, the the Vader scenes, they were cool, but I really 
I don't think we needed to see that. You know, I think we could have no. just settled with Tarkin and Krennic and those two at each other, and that would have been enough. But after our, our talk about The Last Jedi and, and the others throughout the years, I will say that Star Wars fans are some of the toughest fans in the world, if not the toughest fans in the world to please. They love to hate Star Wars so much. Does that make sense? <laughs> They do. They they love it and they hate it. But I'll tell you what, they do come back and see it time and time again. But I am definitely excited, as are you, for Solo. I think it's actually going to surprise a lot of people when it comes out. Will it do the numbers that Star Wars is used to getting? I, I'm not going to say that because obviously with all the problems and all the things that went on and even coming out Memorial Day weekend, I'm hoping that it will do extremely well. I'm here in Vegas, so I'm not laying out those odds that it's going to go ahead and exceed even what Rogue One did, because I know Rogue One was the first of its kind, being one of those anthology-type deals. I'm here, and I'm going to say right now that I think Solo is going to be a success, but to the level of the other Star Wars movies, no. But nor does it need to be. I think it just needs to tell a good story and be a solid movie and be something that people want to watch for years to come. This is the first time where I can really feel... How do I put this? I can really feel Disney's involvement in in everything and how it's affecting it. As a Star Wars collector, there's one or two, maybe three waves, not even three waves of, you know, figures before it's time for the next movie. You know, The Last Jedi came out. We got a couple waves of figures. Now it's the Han Solo stuff comes out in April. It's like, well, there's so many more characters to come out from Last Jedi. We're not going to see that. You know, it's it's almost at this point impossible to keep up with it. There's so much stuff out there, far more than there ever has been. So I just yeah. slow down on that too. <laughs> well, I got my solo shirt last week, so I am ready to rock and roll for late May when it comes yeah. out. So I'm, I'm truly excited to see it. Nice. Once again, it is Jay Bartlett from Star Wars Echo 3 and also as well Nintendo Quest, one of the best video game documentaries of the last 10 years. It's available now. You just check out robmccallumfilms.com which is our good friend rob mccallum and you can see rob mccallum terrorize jay bartlett for two hours in that film and actually it's very funny it's very you know awesome to see but (laughs) there is (laughs) there is some good moments in that film indeed and it does tell a great narrative and it does also as well you know really really has some great things going on it but you know he did kind of terrorize you up throughout the entire we were talking about that today because we were talking about the next film and his involvement with that beyond being the filmmaker. And he kind of said, well, Nintendo quest, I had to be there because we had to get inside your head. So we knew what you were thinking outside of every store or every collector you met, like what's Jay thinking? I got to pull this out because it's, you know, when you go into 10 or 12 stores every day and you come out and have to do an interview to a camera it's like Groundhog Day, right? You're really starting to say the same things. And I'm questioning, like, this isn't entertaining. I'm saying the same things over and over again. So Rob kind of came there to pull out everything. I think he just wanted an excuse to be in his own movie. But I think so, too. I, I think so, too. He got on the poster, didn't he, that weasel? Yeah. Yes, yes, he did. He did. And I have it signed. And I'm truly appreciative for being as far as part of the Power Tour. And I will always be grateful to both you and Rob, for everything that you've done for Game Source and now Pop Culture Cosmos. Of course. Well, one last thing, my friend. You've got a great thing going on with Star Wars Echo 3. So enlighten everyone out there what Star Wars Echo 3 is all about. 
Echo 3 was a group that was born out of my pure passion for Star Wars and coming to a point in my life where acquiring possessions and owning things started to kind of lose its luster. When we started to do a few events and you were starting to see people that were less fortunate, it really turned into, I don't want to call it a charity group, but it's we're there for people who need it. We've just become partners with the Children's Health Foundation in London, Ontario here. They're, they're one of the people that are in charge of buying hospital equipment and, and taking care of kids. And they're, they're on board with what we do now. So we can actually schedule hospital visits, which is very difficult to do. But they let us come in there anytime we want. And just to go in there and take those kids out of their pain and misery for even five minutes. It's a, it's a feeling I can't describe to anybody. But it's just, it's it's an incredible. And it brings me back to my childhood. When I first saw Darth Vader for the first time back in an old department store, you know, it was Darth Vader signing autographs, right? It wasn't David Prowse. It was just a guy in a suit. But how that made me feel, and it stuck with me my whole entire life, I hope that we can have that same impact on kids. And not only do you do the hospitals and whatnot, but you also go to local area events. You also yeah. go to uh, local facilities. And, Ed, you guys are, are out and about as far as local Comic-Cons as well. We, we are a group. We are not gatekeepers or elitists. If you want to help people in need, and if you have a passion for Star Wars, that's pretty much all I need to join my group. I mean, your costume doesn't have to be screen accurate. You know what I mean? Like we don't want a rubber mask or anything like that, but as long as you have that passion, that's first and foremost, what matters. And through my years of doing this, I've seen a lot of groups be pretty snotty about this kind of thing. And Star Wars doesn't belong to me and it doesn't belong to anyone. It's, it's there for everyone to enjoy. So again, we try to try to do a positive image and just make people smile. Simple as that. That's awesome indeed. And people can find out more information on it today at Star Wars Echo 3 on Facebook and also as well catch his great appearance as the star, even though he doesn't like me to tell I'm him the, that he was. I'm the star. I'm the star. He's the star? Okay. Two years have evolved. He's now the star. He's now sorry. He didn't <laughs> like that before. But he is the star of the great video game documentary, Nintendo Quest. you got to check it out today, wherever it's playing, and you can get all the info on where it's playing at robmccallumfilms.com. And I will say, before before you let me go here, stay tuned because Rob and I do have a special announcement in the next couple of weeks, actually. It's coming real soon. So, Yes, yes. I know Rob has dropped hints on it as far as in our Cosmic Crossfire. So I know he, him and you as well will be making major announcements on that new project very soon. Jay, I'll tell you what, it's always a great pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Thank you for having me, Gerald. And uh, anytime, brother, just give me a call. I'll be here. You got it, my friend. And again, as always, it's great having you on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Very Duck, Very Quick is a delicious talk and variety show. Squished around interviews with a side order of skits, a double heaving of characters, and hot steaming wins. Each episode, Mike and Aaron order up a new topic and serve it up to you as the Blue Plate Special du Jour. You can catch Very Duck Very Quick on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and blogtalkradio.com. Very Duck Very Quick is a member of the Astro Panda Network. Vegan friendly, MSG and GMO free. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford. Again, thank you so much for sticking around and enjoying the show. 
Just to let you know, both the PCC Multiverse and the Pop Culture Cosmos can be heard seven days a week on online radio. You just got to check out our Pop Culture Cosmos page on Facebook and you get to check out exactly the listings of when and where our great shows are going to be played on online radio stations such as the Podcast Radio Network, Airwave Radio, Good Talk Radio, the Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting Network, Gray Cloud Radio, IPM Nation, and Croc Radio. And I'll tell you what, we just cannot thank enough every single one of them for playing our show. Plus, also, you get even more detail on our Facebook page, Pop Culture Cosmos, about where you can download our episodes like Apple Podcasts, ESO Network, Tangibound Network, Gunna Geek Network, Podchaser, Podbean, and many, many more. In fact, well over 30 different options that I'm aware of. Many of those links are included on that Facebook page, Pop Culture Cosmos, right there for you. Josh has got a great thing going on at Humanica Media, which you can find out today at humanicamedia.com or their Facebook page, Humanica Media, YouTube page, Humanica Media, and also Podbean and Apple Podcasts as well. Josh, what is coming up with your great thing known as Humanica Media? Right. You can check out a brand new episode of Topic Ocalypse that actually just dropped this morning. And there's a new episode of the Super BS Games cast going up tonight. Monday, I think there's a new What About This coming out. Listen to our show on the Podcast Radio Network every Tuesday night at 7.30 Eastern Time. What is it? Close, again. 6.30 Eastern Time. 7. 7. Eastern Time, okay. So, I mean, don't listen to my first suggestion because you'll miss a half hour of it. Yes, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network on Tuesday nights. Close, but close only counts in horseshoes, my friend. Josh, I want to tell you, it's a great time indeed for video game fans because the Hall of Fame for Video Games has recently announced its nominees to become the next set of games that's inducted into the Video Game Hall of Fame. And I want to read you the list right now. Asteroids, Call of Duty, Dance Dance Revolution, Final Fantasy VII, Half-Life, John Madden, King's Quest, Metroid, Minecraft, Ms. Pac-Man, Space War, Tomb Raider. That's 12 games right there, my friend. Let's, let's say you are on the committee. You're part of that committee that's judging these games as far as that's concerned, and they're judging these games and their importance to the video game industry and its fans and also pop culture as well. If you could pick six out of the 12, so I mean six on the cut line, six are going in. Which six would you choose to be the next entrance in the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, at the top of my list is going to be Final Fantasy VII, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, Asteroids, Final Fantasy, King's Quest, Metroid, Miss Pac-Man. And I don't know. I don't want to say Call of Duty. I don't want to say Madden because I'm not a fan of those or Minecraft. You know, I'll probably go. I've seen Space War being played, and I guess like it is the pioneer, sort of a pioneer of video games. So. I'd say it it deserves to go. But yeah, I'm mostly like Final Fantasy, Tomb Raider. Like those are the games that inspired me as a kid. All right. Fair enough. I know, if, like you've said, you've not spoken enough about Final Fantasy VII over the years. And obviously once the dawn breaks and the Final Fantasy VII remake is finally done. We'll be like, finally, I'll be, huh? 
I'll be 40 when that happens probably. Yes. Well, I'll be, I'll be 90 when that happens. So <laughs> yes, it, it's supposedly still on the way. So we'll have to check with Sony on that come E3, but yes, the, that's been so influential in your life. You've said that on numerous occasions. So that was not a surprise for me for myself. I'm going to go with, Space War, obviously, for me, is the number one because there wouldn't be video games if it weren't for that game. That, to me, pretty much, like it's been said, it's pretty much started the whole thing in regards to to gaming as an industry and as a format and as a genre and as, as part of our pop culture. We wouldn't be anywhere without Space War, and I'm surprised that isn't in already. I'm going to go with Minecraft as far as another top individual game that should be inducted this time around i think its influence on modern gaming cannot be understated especially with its popularity and everything in that nature as far as the fact that it reaches to a demographic of that's probably wider than any game out there then you've got also let's go with john madden football because even though i'm not a huge fan of john madden football it has led into so many great iterations and redefined the sports gaming genre Number four, I'd probably say it would be Call of Duty. I'm sorry, Josh, but Call of Duty, because of the fact that its later iterations have dominated the industry like very few others, that I think it it goes without saying that Call of Duty should be on that list. So I've got up to four. I'm going to go with Asteroids because as a kid, I remember playing that so much, even though it wasn't my favorite game. It rewrote all the rules as far as what you should do with arcade games. That and Pac-Man just really redefined the early 80s as far as arcades are concerned. And number six for me, I'm going to have to go with what you're going to go with, Final Fantasy VII. For me, Final Fantasy VII is something that I think a lot of people need to better understand as far as its importance and the impact in the West, not only as far as on the, you know, in Europe and Japan, but in the West, as far as its influence as a Japanese role-playing game and realize and understand that this game really transcended over the years in its importance and its love as far as that game is concerned with fans. And it just really redefined the JRPG genre as far as it's concerned as a whole when that game came out and, and the many years it's been out since. So, those are my six right there. You've got, again, Asteroids, Call of Duty, Final Fantasy VII, John Madden Football, Minecraft, and Space War. So uh, to me, uh, that, that seems like a very solid set. But you can't go wrong with any of these games, whether it's Metroid, whether it's Tomb Raider, Miss Pac-Man, Half-Life, Dance Dance Revolution. You know, you just really can't go wrong with any of these games as far as being inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame. What are your thoughts on the final nominees for the World Video Game Hall of Fame for 2018? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Send us a list of three, four, five, or six that you like that you think are the best choices from that bunch. And if you're on that committee, which ones would you choose to be inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame? Share us your thoughts again, popculturecosmos Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we come back, we're going to be speaking to Vince Atulo from That Sports Card Show. He's going to be talking a lot about collectibles and non-sports cards and what he thinks you should do about if you have an interest in collecting those type of cards. 
He's going to be sharing his thoughts on that and also letting everybody know how you can catch his great show as well. This is the PCC Multiverse. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Pre-order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. And we're back again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly want to thank you for listening and hanging out with us here on the show. One of the things I want to do as far as pop culture is concerned, we always talk about movies and television and board games and video games and and all that great stuff during the course of the year. But one of the things we like to focus on every now and then is the collectibles market. Here to help me with that and help everybody out there as well, he is the host of That Sports Card Show podcast. It is available now on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. You got to listen to it in regards to, you know, hearing everything about the sports card market. It is Vince Atulo. So great to have you a part of the show, and, and I'm so glad to have you here. How's it going today? It's going great, and I really appreciate you having me on here. This is kind of fun. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you real quick as well is, you know, we talked about sports cards and whatnot being a great way to get back in and also share knowledge of, of players, not only from the past, but the present as well. But one thing I've seen at card shows recently, but also in the past as well, when I was a part of them in a more uh, vested fashion, was non-sports cards always trying to loom in a little bit, not obviously trying to overtake, but loom in in on that space as well. And with pop culture now being something that's very prominent and out front with it, with our society and our, and our culture today, is non-sports cards still a thing that you think people might have some interest in? I know Star Wars cards, I think, are probably the one that they're talked about the most, but I know there's other non-sports cards that may be of interest to people. And I'm not talking about the Yu-Gi-Oh! or the playing cards as far as those games. That's a different thing entirely. And those, yes. uh, depending on that market, that's that's a, you know, could be a very pricey thing. But non-sports cards that just celebrate things that we love about pop culture, is that still something that may be uh, offshoot? Or is that something that maybe people can try and get themselves into before they go into a, you know, a sports card? trading hobby per se i love non-sports cards personally i have a personal like side collection that i'm into right now i collect the 197 there was 1978 kiss you know the rock band kiss Mm -hmm. they had their own trading cards like series one and series two they were come out in 1978 they were don russ there's 66 cards in each set i'm collecting very like mint or near mint versions of those cards graded. Uh, I'm I'm trying to get the whole set. It's going to take me a long time, but that's just just like a pet project of mine. Actually, I know, non-sport- I know I've had Star Wars, and I've also had those rock cards, which also came out during that era, the junk era that you were stating yes. as well. 
because the non-sports cards, that is what I initially, that's what initially got me into collecting when I was a kid. That's what I liked. I didn't like the sports cards. I was into the Star Wars. I was heavily into the Star Wars. Grease. Do you remember the movie Grease? Yep. <laughs> I mean, it sounds funny now, but I loved those cards. And then it was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Mork and Mindy, Kiss cards. I mean, I was just, I was really into that. And then I got a little older and I got into sports and I quit collecting the non-sports stuff so much. And I really got into the sports side of things. But now, current day with the non-sports, it's as big as ever, if not bigger than ever. The Star Wars, there's it seems like there's a new Star Wars release about every month, if not every week. The Tops has that license, and they release some great Star Wars products. I mean, there's there's some fantastic Star Wars products on the market today that are a great value. I mean, you, you can get some really high-value stuff out of those. And also, Upper Deck has the Marvel license, and they've got a nice set coming out, I believe, in May, the Black Panther They've got Black Panther set. That's kind of a highly anticipated set. And with the Avengers Infinity War coming out, that's going to make them even more enticing. Exactly. And there are a couple of the smaller cards that are always coming out, the the smaller companies that are always coming out with uh, non-sport releases like Doctor Who. A friend of mine who's an artist just did a bunch of artwork for the uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 release. I believe that was a Rittenhouse release. I'm not sure on that. The superhero shows on TV, the, like Arrow, The Flash, all them, they all have their own releases with pieces of wardrobe that the people have actually worn on the show, you know, built in the cards, different cast members, autographed cards, things like that that really add value to the product and make them highly collectible. People love them. I like them. Oh, that's great news indeed for those of us in pop culture that might be a, a little bit hesitant, like you said, at one time to get into the sports card realm, but would like to go ahead and start trading cards. So that is a positive sign that that part of the marketplace is now bigger than ever as far as that's concerned, but also a great way to ease into the sports card realm as well. So that's that's yeah. awesome indeed. One last, well, actually two last questions I have for you. I want to hear your thoughts one last time on some final advice on if somebody's actually stepping into it, what final advice do you give them? Or if they're actually maybe uh, already got into it and they're looking for help as far as for some a final bit of advice on sports card trading. Advice in sports card trading. Let's see. I would just look at like what would I have wanted somebody to tell me when I was first starting to get in the sports cards because I was kind of like you, I was kind of out of it a little bit in the 90s, and I kind of just slowly got back into it during the 2000s. And now I'm, I'm in it pretty heavy with the podcast and everything. Do your research on what, what you want to get into and what you want to do. It's easier than ever to do research on cards now. I mean, between all of the Facebook groups, Twitter, all the major card companies, and all the, the grading companies, and just assorted people on Twitter that be glad to help you. Don't jump into a bunch of purchases until you've priced what you're thinking about buying. Check eBay. You can you can check eBay to make sure you're not paying, you know, an absorbent amount for a card. I mean, I'm not talking about five or ten dollars, but some people will get ripped off. Say, spend a hundred dollars on a twenty dollar card. That's not what you want to do. So you can check the prices on eBay to check and see what cards like the one you're looking at have sold for. So that's kind of a guide, you know, a way to do research. Take your time with it. Don't rush into buying anything. Like right now, a lot of people buy and sell stuff not only on eBay, but they'll do trades and 
in the Facebook groups and on Twitter, they'll just buy directly from person to person. And obviously, if you do that, you want to know the person that you're dealing with because, you know, it's with anything you don't know. If you don't know who you're dealing with, you're sending money to somebody. You don't know if you're ever going to get that card sent to you in return. So that's, you know, just an obvious thing. Yeah, just do your research mainly. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Before I let you go, you got to tell me about your awesome podcast. Like I said, I've been listening to it, but you, you need to tell everyone out there that's listening to us here why that sports card show podcast is the place to go for everything sports cards and major collectibles. Tried to make my podcast like the podcasts that I like to listen to. And the podcasts that I like to listen to just basically have a conversation between not too many people, but usually just like a one-to-one conversation where you can kind of really get in depth on topics, you know, where you can really get into things and get the who, the what, the where, the why, and the, the how-to, and you really kind of get to know somebody. Our our shows are usually about between 40 minutes and an hour, and you know, we, we won't just talk about sports cards. We'll talk about uh, just anything that is going on with the person, like our most recent podcast, we had uh, producer and director Stu Stone on, and Stu has a documentary he has just completed called Jack of All Trades that is about the sports card industry during the junk era we've been talking about. And it's about because his dad at the time was one of the biggest sports card hobby shops operators that was in Canada at the time. He had like, I think he said 11 different stores. And he started from one store and within three years he had 11, 11 stores open up. And that's how big it exploded all at once. But he goes into just everything in his documentary about the sports card industry and what happened to it. And then it kind of takes a turn, uh, like a personal turn between him and his dad. But that's just the last guest we've had. We've had a couple other people on who talked about their days in collecting, like uh, Slim Jim Phantom, the drummer from the Stray Cats, Danny Boy O'Connor from the House of Pain, you know, the Jump Around song. You know, <laughs> We've had assorted athletes and uh we had Dan Severn on talking about collecting and just and whoever, you know, not just celebrities or sports people. We'll just or just be the guy next door. Try to have an interesting conversation is what we're trying to do. Once again, it's that sports card show podcast. You can catch it today on Apple Podcasts and also Stitcher as well. If you have any inclination at all into getting into the sports card or non-sports card market as far as trading, buying, investing. It's a cannot miss podcast. And also, if you're just interested in in learning more about the sports card world, you got to listen to it. It's just an awesome show indeed. And my best to you and the show. And you're always welcome to return to us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, I've had a lot of fun here on the Pop Culture Cosmos, and I would like to come back maybe someday vince it's been so great having you on the podcast we truly appreciate you taking the time to talking to us here about some great sports card action at the pop culture cosmos if you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games we can help retro city games in henderson nevada only five minutes from the las vegas strip has all your favorite gaming staples classics and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves 
Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. Thanks again for listening to us. This is Gerald Glassford, and we truly appreciate you again you checking us out and listening to us and hanging out for us for this past hour. If you get a chance, you got to check out the video documentary that Rob McCallum has just put out there, the Kitty documentary covering the all-female heavy metal band that roared through the early 2000s and, and really just set a number as far as the music industry is concerned. You got to check out his video documentary and also the accompanying DVD and Blu-ray box set. It's right there to order on Amazon and it drops today. So you got to check that out. I want to thank also as well Vince Atulo from That Sports Card Show. I want to thank him again for taking the time to speak to us. And again, if you got, if you're interested at all in the sports card market or thinking about picking it back up or you just need some tips on what cards you may be leaning towards, you got to check out his show, That Sports Card Show. Josh, before we head on out, I want to hear some thoughts from you on another movie in our breakdown as we get closer and closer to Avengers Infinity War. We're inside of a month, my friend, to Avengers Infinity War and big Thanos coming to wreak havoc on, on all of our Avengers friends and buddies and whatnot. But one of the first times they kind of got together was in the Avengers Age of Ultron movie. This uh, 2015 movie came out. It was the big follow-up to the original Avengers movie, and it did quite well, earning over $1 billion at the box office. In fact, close to a billion and a half. So I ask you, Josh, with all that said and done, and the fact that Ultron was, to me, I thought going to be bigger and more important and a larger-than-life character that was going to sustain himself more than one movie, do you think that Age of Ultron, when all is said and done, with all that's been taking place since, will be the forgotten Avengers movie? You know, I want to say no, but it probably will, just because, you know, like Captain America Civil War kind of dwarfed it. That's why I said it, because Captain America's Civil War is going to be something that I know that, like you said, was something that a lot of people would go to a lot better. Yeah, and I know that the events that transpired in Age of Ultron are the cause of the Civil War movie. But I think that, it, it, you know, it faced a lot of backlash. One, because people were really attached to that comic book, you know, as far as the uh, what what takes place and how Ultron comes to be and all that stuff. And then two, Ultron had the unfortunate positioning of being just another stepping stone, you know, another setup character. Like they needed him to tie that story to get or bring those characters together so that those characters can progress into the greater Marvel universe. And that, that was unfortunate. And, you know, there's some of the things I, I wanted to talk about. This was that Tony Stark in civil war, like that, that whole turnaround thing was really weird to me because he went from being like this funny charismatic character to this like dark, like super dark character. And like, I didn't really, I don't really like that that much. I don't really appreciate it. So I'm hoping they bring back some of the old Tony Stark in infinity war. But you, you saw why, if you're watching civil war, which we'll get into more when we actually break that movie down. But 
you understand why that happened as far as Civil War is concerned. I mean, you, you saw what things were done in Avengers Age of Ultron that caused him to have that kind of stress out moment and what was brought to his attention as far as the the casualties and the, and the byproduct and the collateral damage that can happen because of what took place in Avengers Age of Ultron. No, I totally get that. But they didn't the change shouldn't have been so like like that, you know, it should have been like maybe a, a couple more things leading into it because, you know, by the time Civil War ended, I hated Iron Man. I don't even I don't I, don't, I wouldn't watch another movie with Iron Man. I mean, I would, but like, you know, I wouldn't you know, he's not he's not really a character that I enjoy anymore. And I wish they would have done a little more build up. But, you know, as for the rest of. Uh, well, I will ask you this. Did you like him a lot more when he kind of returned to that role in Spider-Man Homecoming? You know, that was cool. I it was weird seeing him be like the dad. The one thing about Spider-Man Homecoming that annoyed me was that it relied so heavily on on Tony Stark and Iron Man. Like everything that Peter was trying to do was to impress him. And like that wasn't that kind of bothered me a little bit just because. As you know, as you know, I'm a huge fan of the Amazing Spider-Man films, but that you know, that's another discussion. Yeah, but back to uh, Age of Ultron. Yeah, it was. You know, does that make sense? Like Ultron was a stepping stone character. You know, he didn't get his time to shine because they needed his story arc to bring all the other characters together that would eventually lead into other films. So he didn't really get his chance to like be the big villain he was. Like it would have made more sense to make him like an overarching villain in one of the phases. Because in the comic books, he's absolutely terrifying. Uh, right, he seems to me, as a casual comic books fan, because I'm nowhere near the comic book fan that you are, he seems to me from a distance that he is almost as big, if not just as big as Thanos as far as the Marvel comic book universe is concerned. Yeah, he's had several event series based on him. So that was that's why that whole thing was kind of weird. And he, his, his reach went all over the world. In the movie, he just kind of went to one place. And that was the thing. Like, it was really cool. I love seeing the Avengers all fight together. I love seeing Hawkeye do his thing. But it, yeah, it's just he didn't really get the credit he deserved. Though I, you know, as a film, overall as a film, I really did enjoy watching Age of Ultron. But I didn't like some of the stuff that happened inside of it. I can agree with you on that. As a movie itself, it's not bad. It's entertaining. It's just what is now in there is kind of forgettable because of everything that has taken place since. And you're right. To me as well, Ultron is such a bigger part of the Marvel comic book universe. He should have gotten that same treatment. Although I could go again and again about how Captain Zemo should get that same effect. And when we get into Captain America Civil War, I'm definitely going to have some thoughts on that. But in regards to Ultron himself, there are actually points in time where he actually goes back in time or changes time, goes back and forth in time to go ahead and manipulate it in order to try and beat and actually defeat the Avengers at more than one point of time, correct? Yeah, yeah. The, he's in the future Avenger story arcs, like when the you know, about the Avengers kids, like in the, I forget what, what story that one is from, but like, he's, he's the villain. He's always the villain. They've developed alternate timelines that strictly based on Ultron. So it's weird. He's so massive, but he's so tiny in this movie. Exactly. Like he's just another Marvel villain of the month club and that he was just disposed of quickly and that's it. So kind of that part, I, I can understand as far as some, some disappointment there, but the movie as a whole, like I said, it was okay, you know, but I really think 
that when it comes down to it, because so much has taken place since that everything that happened in Age of Ultron, it really now is very small, less important, and only gets mentioned offhandedly like it did in Civil War as far as it was being referenced there, because at this point in time, it's, I don't think it's even going to be referenced anymore, any point, any point further. So that, that in itself is, is a shame. So to me, I think age of Ultron will be the forgotten Avengers movie. And that actually people will think that 10 years down the line, Josh, when you and I are hopefully still doing the show that we're going to probably have another show and have another episode talking about how, Yes, Age of Ultron did exist and it didn't go Avengers number one in 2011. And then the next one was Avengers Civil War. And we have to correct people. No, it's actually Captain America Civil War and it wasn't Avengers and it was not an Avengers movie. Unfortunately for Age of Ultron, it's not going to be a movie that is going to be essential Marvel viewing. And that's a shame because it's a pretty solid movie indeed. Still watch it though. What are your thoughts on Avengers Age of Ultron? Have you seen it already? Have you forgotten about it already? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, thematic media, game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Super. Super. Well, hello, 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 hello. It's about to be another month, and you know what time it is. Or hopefully you've looked at your phone or whatever you're listening to this on, and you should know what time it is. Well, you guessed it. It's time for the Games of April 2018 with your lovable baby boy, Brank. So let's get to it. Legends. First up is Extinction. Attack on Titan 2 was released last month on every video game platform on the planet. I would not be surprised if there was some 3DO or Virtual Boy version in incubation somewhere. Well, Extinction is a very similar concept. 
You are a small human running and jumping around a large 3D environment trying to kill giants. In this case, ogres. From what I've seen, the game looks stylish and trades realism for what appears to be a Pixar-like world. The graphics really do look stunning. With the devs behind the recent Killer Instinct, Iron Galaxy, thanks Dave Lang, at the helm, I've got some faith that this will be good. Dave explains it as a mix between Shadow of the Colossus and a fighting game. And that's Dave Lang for you. Not my, our own boy, Davey. If you're interested, catch Extinction on PC, PS4, and Xbox One on April 10th for 60 bucks. Yakuza 6, The Song of Life. I want to... No, I need to confess. I have never played a Yakuza game. Ever. I know it's shameful. I've heard the series is a ton of fun, and the story is silly and enjoyable. I know that it is a virtual simulation of Japan, and I'm a total virtual tourist. I know that it's a game with great RPG mechanics, and I assume I would love it. However, Sega seems to love to play Yakuza games right in the heat of it. And this one is coming out of time that makes me pretty positive that I'll miss it as well. I did download the demo and realized after watching 25 minutes of cutscenes that I may not have the time to commit. This game demands a lot. Nay, it deserves a lot. And I'm not sure I can bring it. At 60 bucks, I'm sure the content is there. Hopefully in the future I'll be as well. Get Yakuza 6 The Song of Life on PS4 on April 17th. God of War. God of War 4, let's pretend Ascension never happened, also known as Dad of War, looks immensely entertaining. Instead of being set in Greek mythology, like all the previous games, this one draws from Norse mythology. Kratos trades all the chains for a sweet axe, and on top of that, he's returned with a brand spanking new baby boy and a new viewpoint. Literally. The top-down perspective is being replaced by a third-person, over-the-shoulder view, like the recent Horizon Zero Dawn or the Naughty Dog games. Similarly, Kratos seems to be a different protagonist than the brooding and sullen, way-too-old-to-be-a-teen found in the previous games. Let's hope escorting his son is not an annoying burden and instead brings some real intrigue to the gameplay. So far, everything I've seen looks great. I'm jumping on this day one, pre-order already guaranteed. Get God of War for yourself for 60 bucks on PS4, April 20th. First, you need to cut off my head. Wait, what? Nintendo Labo, robot and variety kit. It wouldn't be a proper 420 without some real crazy shit going on. And the video game kings of crazy land, aka Nintendo, are dropping it like it's hot. Being a full-grown teen, I'm totally stoked for this. I love me some construction, and although I'm not a huge fan of cardboard, I know I can learn to love it. Thankfully, this one is coming exclusively to the Switch. The prices are a little rough, though. 70 bucks for the variety kit, the Super BS kit of choice, and 80 bucks for the robot kit. For the kit inside of you, get Nintendo Labo on the Nintendo Switch for 20 friendly. Gal Gun 2 have you been waiting for an on-rail shooter where you are an unlucky man who is supernaturally popular with girls? Well, let me tell you from experience, this situation really sucks. 
This poor sucker is just looking for his one true love. But how can he find that when all these babes are trying to get into his pants? Well, I'll tell you how. By shooting these young gals with his new weapon that gives them the euphoria they so desperately need. But this game really wouldn't be Japanese enough without most of these ladies being underage schoolgirls and without your gun giving you the ability to knock them back and peek at their undies. The trailer, which I suggest you all watch with your parents, made it seem like you also knocked their clothes off because science. If you want to get your pervious dreams on, then you can pay 60 boners for Galgun 2 when it releases on Switch and PS4 on April 24th. One last thing, this is a mystery game, and the mystery is, how on earth did this game ever pass ESRB cert? That's for you to find out. The Swords of Ditto Need more Steven Universe in your life? Missing that style that Adventure Time brings? Want more Cartoon Network in your Zelda? Well, try The Swords of Ditto, a top-down co-op action-adventure RPG. It looks beautiful, and the combat looks like a blast. Get your Zelda on on PS4 and PC April 24th for an unannounced, at this time, price. My only beef, and you probably have already guessed it, is that this is a missed opportunity for a wonderful indie to be on the Switch. Hopefully that'll be remedied in the near future, and I'll be hearing about them sweet, sweet swords of ditto in some Nintendo Direct. Why did we choose this life? South Park. Fractured, but whole. Dr. Donna and I have already gone to great lengths detailing how much we enjoyed both of the recent South Park RPGs. This game almost made our very exclusive top five games of 2017. Well, now it's coming to the console that I wished it had been on at launch. Fractured Butthole is one of those perfect recent releases that values art over graphical fidelity, so it should run silky smooth, and the ability to pick it up and play in short bursts should do a great deal for making those battles, which at times can be a slog, feel breezy queasy, or easy maybe. This will release at 60 bucks for the base game only, so maybe I'll pick it up way down the line when I can get it and the DLC for like 20 to 30 bucks. But otherwise, I've already played it. Dave and JJ, on the other hand, sounded very interested. If you're interested too, catch it on Switch on April 24th. Okay, JJ Abrams. Okay, oh, okay, so you're on Cartman's side? He just likes this plan because he gets two movies in phase one. God, we have to just go with this plan. We don't even have one movie yet. Adventure Time, Pirates of Enchiridion. Do you love Adventure Time? Do you find half of the adventure figuring out what's going on? Well, finding definitive information on this game has been a challenge. It appears to be some type of open world game, and it looks like you have a boat. The combat is tactical? So maybe it's an RPG, maybe not. I will say the screenshots that I saw made it look pretty gorgeous, especially compared to every other Adventure Time game released so far. One thing I do know, it's coming to PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch on April 24th. Don't hold your breath. And it's only 40 bucks. Let's hope it's good. Super Robot Wars X. This is the Asian release with English subs. Yep, this is a series that is notoriously Japanese and has very few localizations. So few that of the nearly 50 games released in the series only two have ever been brought to North America. 
Well, guess what? This also will not be brought to North America. But if you want to pay a premium, you can buy the Asian version, different from the Japanese release, in that it will have English subs. If you're holding your breath for this to come to North America, please don't, because you'll die long before that happens. From what I've seen, it looks very anime. So if you want to get your anime tactical roboting on, it'll cost you around 65 bucks for the PS4 version, and like 10 bucks cheaper for the Vita version on sites like PlayAsia. You can play it on April 26th, or better yet, don't. Actually, just don't. So there you have it. Those are the games of April 2018. There are probably several hundred indie games releasing on Steam that I forgot to mention. But I won't mention them, ever, because I don't want to. Till next month. Peace. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO network. And... Flopcast.net. <laughs>